After the past several weeks, we've had glimpses of what our first responders have faced in the midst of this global pandemic. It's been an incredible challenge for many of them, from the increased and unpredictable workload to the lack of resources and the fear of being infected themselves. They've had a hell of a lot on their plate. To the varying degrees that COVID has impacted all our lives, nothing can compare to those who have been fighting for other people's lives while putting their own health, sanity, and lives at risk. Anytime I'm tempted to complain about my personal bouts with cabin fever, I remind myself that I have it easy as compared to countless caregivers all over the world. Photographer Megan Kwasniak is one of those people. She is a doctor specializing in emergency medicine in a hospital in Southern Florida. Though her hospital hasn't faced the onslaught of cases of cities like New York, she and her co-workers have had to meet similar challenges, not least of which was the unique nature of this disease. With images and words, she has shared her experiences on her website's blog. I am grateful to her for finding the time to share part of her world right now with us today. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. I had been thinking about reaching out to you when I, you know, when you first started posting about, you know, uh, your work. But I thought, oh, she's probably got a lot of hand, a lot of things. She doesn't need to be interviewed right now, but I'm glad that you let me know that you're open to it. So, so thank you. Absolutely. Well, the, the, you know, it's funny because like when I'm at the hospital, yeah, it's busy, but then I quarantine too. So on the days off, I'm just, I was home. So how are you holding up right now? How long has it been for you sort of actively contending with this? It actually started uh, probably like the first week of March. That was really became an issue or, you know, and we're like, okay, this is really happening. And I was away. I was uh, in Cuba that first week. So it was kind of like, you know, not really uh, thinking about it too much at that time. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as I came back, it was like, you know, really hit it. And we started to have to plan the hospital and everything, what was going to happen. So I would say first week of March. It probably is a good idea to sort of explain what your role is, where you, where you, are, where you work, because just jumped into it. So I am an uh, ER physician and a photographer, and I, uh, I work in South Florida. Um, I've been in South Florida for about five years, and I lived in New York City prior to that. I really have been uh, doing photography since medical school, so kind of the two things went hand in hand, um, okay. and that's pretty much that. So what have you been contending with there? Because, you know, if you watch the news and depending on what area is the focus, you hear really varying degrees of intensity in terms of the number of patients that are being tended to, the resources that they have in reading your blog. I know there was a big concern with the PPEs mm -hmm. at some point. Uh, why don't you just, just give it a sense of what you were contending with in, in South Florida? So in general, Florida has been hit pretty hard with the number of cases that, uh, that have been confirmed. The thing that helps us out a little bit is that we are more spread out. Miami being a big city, bigger problem there. But, you know, just in general, we're more spread out than places like New York City or D Detroit, where, you know, the proximity of everybody together is just so much greater mm -hmm. than what we have here. 
Um, you know, the number of cases has kind of been spread throughout all the hospitals down here. We do have pretty good number of hospitals. So, you know, everybody's been seeing their fair share. We're, we're definitely high up there, but it, you don't feel it as much as, as, as the, uh, as the uh, metropolitan uh, places. To say. So how big is the, the facility where, where you work? And on average, how many patients would you say you would see in a typical evening as compared to the height of what you were experiencing with, uh, with the pandemic? We, uh, let's say, I'm going to speak for myself. So on average, I can see between, let's say, 20 to 40 patients in a 12-hour shift. That's an average, usually more mm-hmm. like 25 or so. The interesting thing that has been happening with the COVID pandemic is that, you know, thankfully people have been quarantining themselves, have been isolating, so they were staying home. So the overall number of patients has dropped a bit in the emergency rooms coming in for other problems, you know, and just seeing more COVID um, cases. But the other uh, things that we normally see have been less. Okay. I would imagine that it's the leading up to and not really knowing what you have to deal with is the source of greatest anxiety. That when you're in the midst of it, you know, and actually handling it, it's much less so. So was that pretty much what it was for you? That's exactly what it, what it has been. Initially, when the pandemic kind of started here, we were all very concerned. We were very anxious. We were very worried. We didn't know how it was going to be, what what exactly we're dealing with. We weren't sure if we're going to have enough uh, personal protective equipment. You know, we just didn't know what was going to happen. And those first couple of weeks were definitely just riddled with anxiety and uh, stress, you know, not sleeping well at night, not knowing what was going to happen. In terms of also you know, logistical stuff, how to receive patients in the ER, how to uh, keep them away from, you know, other non-COVID patients, um, things like that. We really had to put our heads together, come up with different plans and obviously administration being involved in things like that. And then we also, you know, took kind of initiative to try to secure our own PPE and share it among ourselves just to make sure that, we don't end up in a situation where we're really put at great danger and can't can't show up for the patients properly, can't take care of them. So we wanted to make sure that never happens. Yeah, you had an amazing story that you posted on your on your blog where you bought some PPE, some mask, and it came off as if it was a, a drug deal from the wire. <laughs> I really did feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> to tell us about that for people who haven't had the opportunity to read the post. So basically, you know, when all of this started happening and we weren't sure, do we have enough PPE? Is it going to happen? You know, because no hospital is really prepared for something like this, not, you know, not knowing what it's going to be like or whatnot. And uh, one of our colleagues uh, basically said, hey, there's a person that, you know, he's selling N95 and 95s are the masks, the proper masks that really are mostly beneficial for the healthcare workers. Not as much. I know some people have been wearing them outside. You know, it's okay. But really, it's it's a type of mask that you need to have when you go to see a patient infected with a disease like COVID. And my colleague uh, said, you know, there is somebody selling them. And, you know, I was like, okay, great. So I 
feeling very anxious. I wanted to, you know, at least take control over something. There's so many mm-hmm. unknowns. There's so many things we did not have control over. And I think having control over something really changes your mindset and, um, yeah. and how you deal with things. So that was one of the things I said, you know, I can take control over this. I contacted the person. You know, to be very honest, he sold me the masks probably quadruple of what they normally go for. But, you know, given the situation, I was like, that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and buy these masks. And, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I keep showing up. I didn't want to have to be so scared at work or, or, or be faced with a situation where I don't come and take care of patients. So I said, you know what, in case we run out, in case something bad happens, here I am, I'm going to just buy these masks. So I, you know, I, I, I got in touch with him and he agreed to meet me, but we had to meet at this parking lot of a restaurant. Basically nobody there, the restaurant's closed, nobody's there, no cars, no nothing. I pull up, he pulls up, you know, he opens the trunk. Oh, are you Megan? Yes. It just felt very surreal to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> First time in my life. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it was pretty, pretty nerve wracking. Yes, that that was for sure. Yeah, but I got the masks, and I'm happy to say I didn't have to use all of them because my hospital has been providing us masks. So, oh, that's good. And, yeah. and one of the things I, I read in your post and about the importance of being able to take that material off. A lot of it has been made about having access to it, mm-hmm. but. One of the big things is, as you noted in your, in your post, that you have to be very dutiful in terms of the procedure when you're taking the masks off, the gloves off, and all the other materials off to make sure that you do it properly. Because you can have the material, but if you're not doing it properly because you're in a rush, you defeat the whole purposes of using them in the first place. Absolutely. Actually, we believe, and when I say we healthcare workers, we actually think that the most infections that we get is being unable to properly take it off. And of course, you know, the issue comes up, you know, are you reusing? It's something that should have only been used once. And that has been the case across the hospitals. We have been reusing our stuff. You know, I think if it's reused properly and taken off properly, it's okay. You can reuse it, you know. But yes, taking it off is a very specific procedure and you have to be extremely careful uh, not to contaminate yourself when you leave the room. One of the things I've been really impressed about you in reading your posts and keeping up with you has been how how good you've been in terms of your self-care, in terms of like making sure that the time that you have allows you to, to recharge, how you kind of distance yourself from all the news and the social media to a degree and, you know, how you're just enjoying your time. And I, I, I assume that photography is playing a part in that. But talk to us about the importance of being able to use that personal time to, in that way during a time like this. Absolutely. So what happened to me initially is that I noted I was incredibly anxious and incredibly worried to a point where, you know, I wasn't really able to sleep. I, it's like I dreamt of COVID. It was, it was very, very stressful. And what I noted is that the moment I, you know, indulged in the news and, you know, kept reading the stuff uh, over and over again, the worst I felt. And, I realized one of the most important things I realized is that when I was in that state, I was not able to think clearly and face the situation 
you know, with clarity and strength and just be able to do what I need to do. So mm-hmm. that realization was huge for me. And I decided that, you know what, if I'm going to keep saying, if I'm going to keep doing what I need to do, if I'm going to keep showing up at work, I need to limit what I expose myself to. And of course, staying informed was very important, you know, for physicians, especially knowing what's going on. But I think sticking to the facts and limiting the news and social media was absolutely life-changing for me. And I still do this, you know, I take a peek, I look at what's going on, but then the moment I feel my anxiety rising, I just move on and I do something else. So tell me about the decision to to document this this period of your work life. Okay, so um, it's a very uh, actually interesting thing. So um, before I answer that question, I will preface it by saying that, you know, I uh, most of the time that I've been photographing, I have done projects or photographs that were sort of medically related. You know, I've gone on. Um, what, what are known as medical missions uh, to several different places and have photographed, you know, I in, in hospitals, like, for example, I photographed in a hospital, in a leprosy hospital in Nepal, which uh, was, you know, something definitely we, you know, you just don't see leprosy in the uh, in U.S. or Europe. It's it's such a rare thing. But I had the privilege of being able to go to a hospital that only houses leprosy patients, and you know, it, it's very uh, disheartening experience. But at the same time, I got permission, and I was able to take photographs there. You know, I have photographed, you know, during a medical mission in Honduras, I photographed uh, patients with significant burns and things like that. For the most part, I realized, you know, I didn't actually share those stories. And to this day, I ask myself, I'm not sure why, you know, why is it that I have never shared this? Why have I not shared those photographs and uh, spoken about people like the patients that I had seen and photographed? And I still don't know the answer to this question. Now my mindset is kind of changing. I kind of do want to do want to share those uh, stories. But um, when the pandemic hit, you know, a close friend of mine, I, I know you know him, you've uh, interviewed him, uh, Peter, Peter Turnley. Oh, yeah. We met in Cuba. He was in Cuba at that time and we met for coffee and we started talking about the pandemic and what was going to happen when I come back home. Um, and he encouraged me. He said, you know, this is something that you may want to document, that you may want to photograph. And I, I really took that to heart. And I'm so glad I did. I owe him that a lot. For the first time, you know, I pointed my camera in the setting that, you know, is so familiar to me. And yet mm-hmm. I normally just don't think about photographing it. And, uh, and that's, that's how it all began, basically. So tell me about getting permission of the, the hospital and your coworkers. Uh, with respect to the presence of the cameras and what things did you have to agree to do or not do in order to be able to have the camera present? I always ask for permission. My style is that, you know, I, whenever, whether I make a portrait of someone or kind of just document a scene, I, my style is to ask for permission or, you know, whether directly or just point the camera, make sure people are okay with that. Um, I haven't really been photographing patients. Obviously, that's a very uh, difficult thing to do. Uh, it's there's so many, you know, laws protecting patients and things like that. 
If I had gotten direct permission from them, I believe I would be able to photograph them. I just haven't done that. It's been a choice not to do that. Uh, I wanted to more tell a story of the healthcare workers, people on the front line, and that's what I've been doing. I didn't officially get any permissions. I, I sort of familiarized myself with the uh, what's allowed and what's not. You know, I haven't had any issues. I just make sure that everyone who my photograph is okay with me being photographed. And uh, everybody has been. Everybody has been wonderful. They see my camera. Some people actually asked me to take their photos. And to me, that's always a great privilege, a great honor. If somebody asks me to take their photograph, it actually makes me incredibly happy. And mm -hmm. I want to do the best that I can uh, with that moment. And I know, you know, even for us, for us physicians, nurses, you know, healthcare workers in general, we want to document this moment. This is something that is not usual for us you know we don't normally have to deal with pandemics yeah you know i know that we want to remember this we want to remember we want to create memories um and obviously photography is one of the best ways to do that so what were some of the things that you were seeing that you wanted to photograph that possibly you weren't seeing elsewhere? Um, it's a great question, actually. And I will say this, you know, when I started doing this project, when I started photographing, I said to myself, you know, I want to document everything that happens, meaning the good and the bad, you know. A lot of the things you see in the media is very... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Dramatic. It's very sad. And, and, you know, that, that is definitely a huge part of, of this pandemic. You know, we cannot say that it's been very, there's been moments that it's been very hard and very scary and, and people cry and all these things. But there's also another part of the story. You know, there's a part of the story where things are, you know, happier when they're, they're not as uh, sinister as, mm -hmm the media portrays it. You know, for example, um, and, and you've probably seen this on my blog, uh, I've included photos of us celebrating free pizza that, uh, that you know, a, a local restaurant has sent over to us. Or the time when, you know, a Christian organization came to offer prayer for whoever wanted to pray with them. So I wanted to document that. I wanted to document the happy as well as the more difficult moments. And I think that's something that's not out there as much, but it's part of my story. And if it's part of my story and my colleague's story, I want it to be out there. The images that I've been more familiar of yours have been on your Instagram feed because you do a good, a good amount of traveling. And yes. you can see you've got that, that bug, you know, yes, to just yes, explore absolutely. the world and make photographs. But this yes. is, this is a, a little bit more, it's different because there's a, a more of a narrative. But nevertheless, what are some of the things that you learned from the work that you were doing being a travel photographer that has helped you do this more documentary style work? You know, I will, it's definitely something that it has been out of my, so to speak, comfort zone. You know, it's like you mentioned, I normally uh, photograph when I travel. I, I love that style of photography, which, you know, is a bit street. Uh, it's a little bit of landscape. It's definitely portrait heavy. I'm, I, I love photographing people. I, I do quite a bit of um portraits throughout the year. The challenge that I have faced with photographing in this setting, photographing in the hospital is, you know, it's not something that I normally do. So I really mm -hmm. had to uh, think outside of the box, uh, get out of my comfort zone, kind of 
get out of my own way, so to speak. You know, deal with the challenges of going to sound funny, but horrible lighting. I mean, <laughs> you cannot get worse lighting than a hospital lighting. Let me just put it out there right now. I had to be like, okay, this lighting is horrible, but how can I still show it in a creative or beautiful way or, or just, you know, document it. I love documenting things, but you know, as a, as a visual person, I always want to document it in the best way possible. Right. So that's kind of, what I've had to deal with, and uh, and it's it's been it's been interesting uh, to do this. You know, not shooting something I'm very used to or familiar with. Yeah, well, you're um, alluding to probably really low light and not the best in terms of color sources. You know, I don't know what the whether it's a mixture of fluorescent and tungsten yes. and LED and all this stuff. Which is that one of the reasons that you you're um, showing these in black and white as opposed to color, or is there yes. another reason? Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I'm going to be very honest. I think that 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 kind of improves the lighting, I guess, or the editing, the editing process. I, I will say, though, that there are some photographs I've taken that look much better in color. You know, there's a we actually have a tent set up outside of our emergency room and the tent is uh, used specifically to treat COVID patients who are not so ill that they require hospitalization, but they still need to be evaluated in the hospital setting. They need to see a doctor or NP or whoever. The tent is outside. So I have photographed in and around the tent, photographed uh, my staff kind of getting ready to see those patients. That light is obviously a lot better than shooting inside the emergency room and those photographs look they look good in uh, in color um, there's something that the color really adds to the mood i haven't really posted those yet i haven't posted all my photographs um this is definitely a, a project that's ongoing and you know i want to keep shooting i want to keep telling the stories so in the end we'll see what comes out of it Though most podcasts don't share their numbers, I don't mind telling you that each interview averages to around 15,000 downloads over the life of an episode. Some go well over 20,000. That may not be Mark Marin or Joe Rogan numbers, but I'm more than satisfied with them. And while I'm grateful for each and every person behind those downloads, the fact is that less than 1% of all those listeners support the show financially. I'd love for this to be the only thing that I do, but I've made it harder for myself by foregoing the pursuit of advertisers. If I'm ever going to make this happen, I'm going to have to rely on people like you. If I received $5 or more a month from just 7% of all my listeners, that combined with my work as a writer and educator would provide me the means to begin making the candid frame my whole life's work going forward. I know it's kind of crazy to be asking for contributions in the midst of a pandemic, but I've learned that it's only crazier to not ask for what I need and what I want. So if you can, please take the time today to become a Patreon supporter and contribute $5 or more a month. We have a long way to go between where we are now and 7%, but you can get us one step closer to that goal. Join us today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Thank you so much.
Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I like that you're you're just sort of giving us a few pictures, but I think that this is important enough that you don't want to be too quick to to show too much too early because yeah. it's it's an evolving story. And at this point, at least speaking for myself, this is the time to just make the photographs and not to think about culling or editing or organizing them in any particular way because it's too soon. So it's just make the pictures, make the pictures, make the pictures. And then when you're done, then you need some time away from it. And then you can return to it and, and then go, okay, what the hell was I actually doing? I agree. I think that's that's an, an amazing insight and input, actually. Um, and, you know, sometimes I like want to share because it's this is what's happening right now. But I think you're absolutely right. I think looking at this as a whole body of work and looking at it at a later time can give you a different perspective as well. I usually don't talk about equipment, but I think in a situation like this, it's important. You're not a photojournalist. So you're not going in with a camera bag you know, with all these bodies and lenses. So talk to me about the choice you made in terms of the equipment that you're using under these circumstances. So I decided uh, basically to go with uh, something um, simple and small. And I uh, have been using my Leica, my Leica Q. Um, that's the only camera I'm using. I'm not using anything else. And uh, it's it's worked out great for me. You know, the, the Leica is, a, is less intrusive. Um, I mm-hmm. feel, you know, I as a travel, when I travel, as a travel photographer, I, I tend to use the uh, 24 to 70 uh, lens. But I feel like it's more intrusive. And being in a hospital setting, I want to kind of stay not so obvious, uh, so to right. speak. And uh, and and the Leica has been great. And Leica, it's it's a great camera for the uh, the lower light situations as well. So that's helped me a lot. But twenty eight is a challenging focal length to use effectively because it's 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 so encompassing. So it's not like using a thirty five or a, a, a fifty. Uh, and some of the images that uh, that you have posted are fairly intimate, which requires you to be a little close. So talk to me about the process of using a 28 millimeter in the way that you're using it. I like to get close. I'm going to be honest. I really enjoy uh, getting close to my subjects. No, we're, you know, I wear the mask, so it's okay. <laughs> but we're in a hospital <laughs> setting anyway. We, we, I mean, we keep the restrictions, but sometimes you, 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 when you're in the ER and you work side by side next to a patient, you just can't. But I, I in general, I, I actually really enjoy uh, getting close, uh, close to my subjects and creating that intimate encounter uh, that translates into photographs. The angle has not bothered me. Um, initially, I actually wanted to shoot at 35, but um, it just happened to be that I ended up with the Leica Q and it's, you know, it is what it is. And I make, you know, I just use it. I make the best of it, but it's been actually quite great. I, I've enjoyed it a lot. From what you've described, it seems like the activity at the hospital that, where you work probably comes in waves. Like it can be very busy and can be very quiet. In terms of you choosing when to pick up the camera as opposed to doing taking care of patients, talk to me about how you sort of figure out, can I make a photograph? Should I make a photograph under the situation? Because sometimes it a great shot may be present, but there's some other priority that uh, something else takes priority. But tell me about that sort of balance, that juggling act you sometimes have to do. That's a fantastic question, actually. I always bring my camera with me on my shift. I do. I have it with me. If I do see something and the time, you know, maybe I'm not currently 
directly involved with patient care. You know, we quite a, we do quite a lot of documenting on the you know charts and things like that. So I just basically, you know, if I have the time and I see something that is happening, I will take the camera and I will shoot, you know, and in terms of making portraits of people, I just say, hey, listen, let me take your portrait right now. You know, I just I need I want to make a portrait. Is that OK? And and I and 99 percent of the time they're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So they let me do it. And we photograph. I put the camera back. I go back to work. I have a, a, on a, a couple of occasions gone to the hospital on my day off. I, it's something that I actually want to do more as this project goes on. Um, I mm. felt that doing that, you know, not being restricted by the fact that I have to see patients and I'm taking care of people, that's, yeah. that, that's made it easier. And I do plan on doing that uh, as time goes on. There's been obviously moments that I missed because I was busy doing something like, oh man, this, this was such a great moment. You know, I wish, I wish I could have documented it or had my camera. And, you know, it, that situation happens to me, even when I travel, you know, it, it hurts me so much to miss those potential shots, but I've kind of over time learned to just be like, okay, you know, there'll be another one. Let's just, just let it go and, and keep yeah. doing what I have to do. So. When you get home and you download the pictures, do you just download them and not look at them? Or do you kind of review them to see what you've done? And what's your reaction if and when you do, do take a look at them? That kind of varies depending on my schedule. I'm going to be very honest. There's actually some photo photographs on my camera right now that I haven't downloaded yet. They're on the memory card. And, you know, I remember taking them in the hospital. I have not uh, downloaded them yet. I have not edited them. In terms of you know, if I have to be very honest, I uh, tend to be a bit self-critical when it comes to my photography. I'm, I'm, I always want, you know, I want to make great images. I want, and and sometimes I look at them and I'm like, oh, you know, I wish this was photographed differently or whatnot. I just try to learn from that and and in my eyes, do better next time. One of the uh, challenges. Um, with this is that I have to, and, and talking to my photography friends, showing them some of the work, you know, I, I have to be able to look at this as a body of work versus individual pictures. You know, sometimes right. I, yes. I mm -hmm. strive to make sure every photo is perfect. Every photo stands on its own. You know, it's kind of the mentality that I normally usually have, but I've realized that, you know, this is, this may not be the case, that it's more important for me to create a story. It's more important for me to have kind of everything um, or the most important things shown. Ne not necessarily it will be that every picture is perfect on its own, but as together, um, they still say something, say something important. Yeah, that's golden insight to have, because I think that that's uh, an indication of anyone's development as a photographer. Because, yeah, you always want to make that stellar, singular image. But once you start getting into telling a story, you realize that all the pictures don't have to be exceptional, genius photographs. Because when you're laying out and you're telling a narrative, sometimes you need a strong picture and a, what a quote-unquote, technically weaker picture that juxtaposed together bring a complete meaning to the story and the narrative that you're telling. So, yeah, disassociating yourself from whether or not that's 
as good a photograph as the previously one you shot is important is an important thing to let go of because when you finally get down to culling and editing and you know selecting these down to 52 photographs or whatever it ends up being then you'll realize that that being so precious about each singular shot is not necessary you okay. know and then of course you're going to have to let go of some of the ones that you love True. right yes because it doesn't serve the story so Absolutely. but that, that's but if you're there that's a good place to be it's not, it's not easy to get here, but I, I you know, I'm here, so I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> well, you said you started picking up the camera when you were in medical school. How did you get turned on to that? And what were those, what were the things that you immediately attracted to, to, to photograph? So, um, you know, I think I've, I've always loved photography. I didn't know that I was, that I loved photography, so to speak, when I was, you know, before when I was young, but I, I remember you know, when I look back, I always remember looking at different photography books and different photographs and always just loving the, the, the process of it. I actually took my very, very first photography class as a senior in college. I uh, took a, a black and white film photography class. And, you know, it was kind of my first time holding a camera kind of in a s serious way. It was a wonderful class. You know, we developed our own film. It, it was fantastic. I knew that I was going to medical school uh, by that time. I, I knew that my time would be very limited in what I can do outside of my studies. I actually ended up going to medical school uh, in, uh, in Grenada, West Indies. Uh, medical people probably are aware. Um, the school is called St. George's University. It couldn't have been a better thing for me, to be honest, because, uh, you know, I loved, always loved travel. And now I was in this foreign place studying, but also, you know, being able to see something new and, and photograph it. So I, despite the busy schedule, I was still shooting. I would go out on the streets in the town uh, and make photographs. You know, they weren't very good photographs, but it was, <laughs> it was the start. Afterwards, you know, I had to, um, I, I did residencies. We all have to do residency. And, uh, you know, it's the, the, basically the time when you train for the subspecialty that you have chosen for me was emergency medicine. Even, you know, in residency, you probably have even less time than as a medical student, but yeah. somehow, you know, during the breaks, uh, during vacations, during my time off from the hospital, I kept shooting, I kept photographing. And like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I did some um, medical electives in, in places abroad, and that's where I brought my camera. That's what I really kind of put myself out there. I'm, I'm self-taught, you know, I've, I've read a lot of books. I've taken workshops. Peter's was one of them, and, and that's how I learned. But, um, you know, it's just something that no matter what was happening in my life, there was always a camera. There was always time to photograph and make images. There was always time for photography. Yeah. Well, one of the most challenging areas in which to practice medicine is emergency medicine. So how did you come to decide that that's what you wanted to do? I did a, I had a brief uh, stint, I should say, as a, uh, as a medic, a paramedic. Uh -huh. And, you know, I just kind of realized this is, this is uh, emergency medicine is, is this, this is going to be for me. And, uh, when I was in med, uh, when I was in med school and we were kind of exploring the different specialties to go into, mm -hmm. I just, I just somehow knew it. I was like, you know what? Emergency medicine is right for me. I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, I 
I think it's what I was meant to do. So, what is it about it that you like? Is it, and I, I'm just throwing this out there, is it part of just the deductive process that you have to practice in a really finite period of time under amazing stress that is one of the things that invigorates you, or is it something else? I think that might be part of the, the, uh, the process. You know, I, I think I just liked the fast pace and kind of encountering the patient while something really, you know, something needed to be done right away, you know, mm. especially when I was uh, in the ambulance, you know, we would go and, you know, you'd see a terrible accident, you know, or, or somebody with a, with a heart attack and arrhythmia, whatever that, you know, that might be, things had to happen right there and then. And uh, I realized, uh, you know, I'm, I realized this, that I'm actually like, a doer when something needs to be done I like to just get it done like let's just get okay. it done and in some of the other subspecialties I feel like things you know drag on you have more time to do this you have more time to do that for me it's like okay here's the presentation here's the the illness here's what the patient needs let's get it done let's you know make it happen and and let's move on and that's that's emergency medicine in a nutshell you you pretty much have wow. to do that um, all the time so do you yeah. practice a very different mentality when it comes to taking photographs? Um, interesting question. Uh, I don't know. I actually, I think with photography, I like to slow down a little bit. I, there's been times when I was very much shooting very fast and mm. responding quickly to what's happening in front of me. And I still do that to this day. But I've also learned that when I take my time, a little bit more when I slow it down and kind of just observe the scene and, you know, let it unfold in front of me, my photographs are better. They're more meaningful. Yeah. So I started practicing that more in the, in the last uh, couple of years or so. And actually, even in the hospital, that's one of the reasons why I would, you know, I went back on my days off because I didn't want to just stress out, grab the camera and point and shoot. I wanted to see what, you know, the scene in front of me, what is happening, what's going to happen, what are my nurses doing, you know, what are, what is the EMS doing, what, what is happening, and then kind of able to capture that in, you know, in a more meditative way. I think one of the pictures that really speaks to that idea that you've just described for me is the picture which I was assume which I assume was taken uh, at the entrance to the uh, ER is with one of the gloves on the ground. The yes. long isolated glove that's been discarded. I really like that photograph because even though there aren't any people in the shot, it suggests the presence of the people, but it also tells an important story, part of the story that that you're telling. So it's it's not the like you said before the dramatic shot, but it's an important mm -hmm. shot. Talk to me more about recognizing small things like that and realizing that those things are just as important to photograph. Well, number one, you know, before before I started this project, I might have walked right past that glove and never even given it a thought. Hmm. Now I'm, you know, I'm much more uh, attuned to what is around me. What do I see? And, you know, how does it represent the pandemic? I actually believe that that glove probably would not have been there 
if uh, I've never seen a glove lying like that in front of our entrance to the emergency room ever before. And I think now the glove kind of also, you know, also represented the gravity of the situation, you know, medics coming in, rushing, maybe the, the COVID patient is very sick. You know, we have a process that when a COVID patient comes in via ambulance, you know, it's, there's a certain code for that. We have a certain code. We know that there's a, a potential COVID patient coming Obviously, we all prepare. Everybody puts on uh, their PPE, you know, and, and awaits that patient. And, and maybe it's a really sick patient. Maybe uh, the glove ended up there because of the, uh, you know, people were rushed. They were trying to get this person in. They were trying to put them in the appropriate room and, 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 and help them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I've never really seen a glove like that, which is why it caught my eye. And, uh, and even if it was there, I probably wouldn't have paid attention, but now I'm trying to pay attention to the, to the smaller things, you know, to, to the moments maybe in between patients or the marks on the faces, um, of the people that had worn their mask for too long or, or whatever that may be. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be really tuned to that and, and pay attention. How have you seen the dynamic between all the people who work alongside each other, the doctors, the nurses, the attendants, the police officers, the EMTs? I mean, you're basically in a really intense, uh, exhausting, fatiguing circumstance. But what have you seen differently as a result of contending with the with the COVID thing? So I, I really um, love that you asked me this question because I, I, I want to say that, um, you know, we have really been united by by this pandemic. And I mean that especially about uh, healthcare workers. I feel that the camaraderie, the bonds amongst us have been strengthened. We look out for, we look out um for each other. You know, we make sure that we are protected when we go into the room. You know, I want to make sure that, you know, my colleagues have enough uh, PPE, that, uh, my, you know, that my nurses are properly protected as well, that if they need any help, you know, I am, I am here to help. So I feel that overall, it has been uh, a wonderful experience in that sense, because I feel so much more connected to everybody that I've worked with, you know, my, 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 my friends, my colleagues, my friends in other hospitals, you know, I've, uh, I've reached out to my friends in New York, I trained in New York, New York is really close to my heart, I know they have been hit tremendously hard, they've, they've suffered, they've suffered such difficulties. And, you know, I've normally maybe I would wouldn't be in touch with them as often, but we've been reaching out to each other, making sure we're okay, uh, making sure that, you know, you know, I have extra masks. Do you need me to send them to you? What is it that you need? How can we be of help? How can we help each other? So that has been an absolutely wonderful experience and honestly a silver lining in this whole pandemic. That's good to hear. Absolutely good yeah. to hear. Because I think in, in even though this is an incredibly terrible circumstance to be in, that it can be an opportunity to bring people together. Absolutely. And, and I've been very grateful for that because I've been using my phone as a phone, you know, yes. calling people rather because I hate texting. But gotcha. it's like I want to talk to some people and I've been reaching out and just reconnecting. And, and it's been really good and using the show and all this other stuff, you know, to sort of build whatever small community I, I can to be an encouraging force. And I think that, uh, you know, 
as sad and and as difficult as this is for a lot of people, you know, there can be some good from it. I mean, that's I, at least I have to have that attitude in order not to keep myself from going completely nuts. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, and even outside of the medical uh, environment, I've also been, you know, keeping with keeping up with my friends, making, you know, if I don't talk to one for like two days, I'm like calling them on FaceTime and making sure everyone's okay. And I really, really felt connected to the people in my life in ways that I had not felt, you know, before. And it's just, it's been, it's been wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm for that, you know, despite, like you mentioned that, you know, the gravity of the situation, I'm very grateful for that. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? So uh, I thought about this question a little bit because I know you asked that, but um, I do want to recommend uh, a friend of my, a close friend of mine, but also a, an absolutely wonderful photographer, um, Sonia Goidenko. You know, uh, the reason I want to bring her up is that um, Sonia and I often shoot together, but it's so interesting to see the how different our work can be and her work, you know, I, I cannot shoot like she does, you know, she, there's uh, always such air of, of mystery in her photographs. You know, she's uh, predominantly a street photographer and the way she captures what, what happens in front of her on the street is just very unique. You know, I, I, I see it and just like, I don't see anyone shooting like her. And she's also um, um, gotten some wonderful projects going. Um, she often Times photographs the Hasidic Jewish community, you know, in Brooklyn, and not many people have access to it. She has done a remarkable job. I, I definitely recommend looking uh, at her work um, from that and just uh, checking her out in general. She, she's wonderful. Mm. Well, thank you for making time for me. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I hope you and your team and all the people down there stay safe. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love your podcast and thank you for this opportunity. Thanks to Megan for joining us. Find out more about her and her work by visiting MeganKwasniakPhotography.com. If you want a chance to win a Fujifilm X100V, submit some of the images that you've been taking at home over the past few weeks and months to a photo contest that I'm involved with in conjunction with Fujifilm America, DxO, and Viewbug. The theme of the contest is your world right now. Light, shapes, and moments. And just like it says, we want to see what you've created while you've been at home. Find out more by checking out the show notes or visiting the website at thecandidframe.com. I look forward to seeing what you've made. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have led people to take a chance on our show and allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or a one-time or reoccurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Randall Reed, Ernesto Regatta, Nobechi Creative, Neil Ford, Jillian Peckham, Michael Lynch, and Susie Q. Morris for their recent contributions. Thanks for helping to bring me one day closer. 
We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge for making great photographs, and it's another way for you to support the show. And if you found that you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you use, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>